0: You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen, let's pray. Would you join me? Father, we come to you acknowledging our need of You, we ask that You would speak to us through Your Word. That it wouldn't be just human wisdom or good ideas, but that Your Word, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, would would be the thing that is heard and is received and does the work of transformation in our hearts, which we so desperately need. And so we ask You, Holy Spirit of God, to speak by Your Word. To build up, to encourage your people. Speak to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. River City again. Here, I'm dropping stuff everywhere. I, I admit, this morning has been a little frazzled. Um, maybe you can tell, maybe you can't. Uh, just, uh, We've had uh, a number of people in various places call in To say, hey, I I can't help with uh, helping it monitor this morning because I have a sick kid, or I have uh, people calling in with with migraines and various things. And so, um, just being completely and utterly honest, I'm personally feeling just a little frazzled. So I was just spent some good time with Jesus over there as as y'all were singing, and uh, we're just going to jump into the Word and let it do its work, and not have to worry about whether or not my brain is functional. Uh, Luke chapter 12 is where we are. If you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up and some folks from our strike team can come by. Uh, and here's the reality. In, in Luke chapter 12, we're kind of right in the middle. If you're just joining us, welcome. If you're visiting because your family of some of the folks who are here this morning, welcome. We're in the middle of this large section of Luke's gospel where Jesus just keeps saying difficult things. So if you've been with us for a couple weeks, you're like, man, this is, you know, kind of heavy. And it, the, the reality is it kind of is in some places, and this morning's no different. Um, in this, this time, Jesus is, is pressing on this idea of fear. We're going to read chapter uh, 12, verses 1 through 12. And so if you want to turn there, um, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, and so when I say the word fear, there's probably many things that come to mind for you, now, I think we tend, when we say fears, to go to the psychological components first, right? When I say fear, you think spiders, or, or if you're my kids, just bugs in general, right? Maybe you're afraid of heights. Maybe um, you're afraid of confined spaces or large groups of people, some less obvious things that might stoke fear in us. We fear what will happen if a particular person or political party rises to power or remains in power right it stokes some fear in us you fear what might be coming next in the realm of global health over if you look at the world over the last 2 years or geopolitical unrest what's happening right now in parts of eastern europe right and in fact the culture in which we live uh, the media outlets and, and politicians, I think the culture like feeds and thrives on the kind of stoking of fears and anxieties in order to manipulate, in order to perpetuate a state of anxiety and a state of unknown rest. And I'm not, don't, don't hear me in that like I'm just like poo-pooing on the culture. I think that's just the reality of where we live. So, so, so that's important, and I want us to kind of keep that in mind, but as we talk about fear this morning, I want us to try to form a, a theological definition, not merely a psychological one. Here's what I mean. Can we create a, a little bit of a biblical definition around this idea of fear? Because I think it's important because I believe that we respond outward here in our daily lives. In whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we respond out here according to what we actually believe in here. So, theologically, we can divide fear into two categories. At least that's what I'm going to attempt to do this morning. That we can fear creation or we can fear the Creator. We can fear man. Or we can fear God. I think there's a, a dividing line that Jesus draws here in this passage that we can use. So as we read this text, let me ask you this question. Who or what do I fear? That we can all ask that question. What are the things that cause me to fear? And as we wrestle through that, as we look at this text, we'll ask follow-ups. How do I know if I'm, how I'm responding in a given situation is exposing a fear of man or a fear of God? That's what I think Jesus is pressing on here. Who or what do you actually fear? And Jesus, as our compassionate Lord, which we'll read here in a second, He addresses His disciples and He addresses us, and He gently and directly dismantles all of our misplaced fear of man and calls us instead to a holy fear of God. He gently dismantles our misplaced fear of man, and instead calls us to a holy fear of God. So let's read our text. Luke chapter 12. We'll read verses 1 through 12. You can read along in your Bibles if you'd like. It'll be on the screen as well. Or at least it should be, because I think I made a slide for it. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another... He, that's Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. "'Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. "'Yes, I tell you, fear him. "'Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? "'And not one of them is forgotten before God. "'Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. "'Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. "'And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, "'the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. "'But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God.' And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Now, as I said, Jesus is is pressing on this question of, who or what it is that is causing, in this case, his disciples he's teaching, to be afraid. Specifically, he's addressing fear of man and the lack of a proper fear of God that's being exposed in their hearts, and not just what's being exposed in their hearts, but what's spilling out of their hearts and coming out of their mouths. And so um, we're looking at this text kind of in three parts. You'll notice that your, probably your English translation has it broken up into three sections We're going to look at it in that way, where verses 1 through 3 are what's happening in the heart, verses 8 through 12 are the things that are coming out of people's mouths, their confession, what they're saying or not saying, and then in the middle is where he gets at a right and good kind of fear as opposed to a misplaced one. And so that's the the fear sandwich we're going to look at today, with the mouth and the heart being the bread and this real teaching, this meat in the middle of of what good fear really is. So that's what we're going to look at. Verses 1 through 3, the heart. Verses 8 through 12, the mouth. And then sandwich between Jesus really getting at the heart of fear and what it really is. Verses 4 through 7. I hope that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. So let's just go after it, okay? Uh, And because Jesus starts with the heart, we'll start with the heart. We talked about this last week, that Jesus uh, is pressing on these religious leaders because they're neglecting to remember that there's an outward part of a person and an inward part of a person, right? You clean the outside of the glass, you make yourself look good, and inside is filthiness and wickedness. Jesus says, let's get at the heart first. And, And Luke chapter 12 opens reminding us that there are so many people who are interested in hearing what Jesus has to say, that they're being trampled just as a, just a context note, so many people are crowding around to hear what this Jesus has to say. And he turns to his disciples, Luke tells us, and he tells them in verse 1, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus and his disciples had just left a meal at the end of chapter 11 with Pharisees and teachers of the law. And as they're leaving, this is the conversation that's happening, beware the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. The ones that Jesus says, I just pronounced woes over for their self-justification, making themselves feel better and look good on the outside, but inside are completely missing it. The ones who think they're pretty good, Jesus says, beware their hypocrisy. And then in verses two and three, he explains what he means. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that won't be known. Whatever is said in the dark, will be heard in the light. Whatever is whispered in private rooms will be shouted from the housetops. Hypocrisy, Jesus is saying, is an attempt to hide. It's an attempt to keep things hidden and secret. To put it another way, the inside heart and the outside actions don't line up. Here's an example that we commonly see just in our culture around us. A politician... Or a pastor who boldly stands for biblical truth, speaks uh, confidently about faithfulness in marriage from the podium or from the pulpit, who's later found out to be committing adultery or using his position to manipulate or abuse someone else. We've all seen the news stories, right? And we look at that and we say, that is hypocrisy. And we'd be right. See, the depth of hypocrisy that Jesus is addressing here is when we're confronted with our own sin, rather than confessing it, we cover it. It's a covering and a hiding of what's really going on so as to appear on the outside that everything is fine. Like, and, and often we're the first ones to recognize it. I think this is part of the process of the, the, the work, convicting work of the Holy Spirit, right? He brings it to our attention. We recognize it. And in that moment, I hope nobody else heard that or saw that. And if they didn't, then I bury it in hopes that no one will ever see it. And then I pretend everything is cool, right? We present to the outside, I'm good. I have it all together. Jesus says, beware the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. It happened right away in the garden, with our first parents. you Go all the way back to Genesis. When Adam takes the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that God said, don't eat from this tree. The rest of the garden is yours. Just don't eat from this one. And Adam takes it. And if you go back to Genesis, we don't have to, you don't have to turn there now. God calls out, Adam, where are you? And what has Adam done? He has hid himself. And he has covered himself because he was ashamed. He knew it. And the Lord says, well, who who told you you were naked? At the end of Genesis 2, you were naked, not ashamed. Now you're naked and you're covering yourselves up and you're hiding, right? This is what sin does. So hypocrisy is not only just the inside of a person and the outside of a person not being aligned, although it is that, but it also, I think, includes sin being covered up rather than sin being confessed, the problem is not that there's sin that resides in our hearts as the old man continues to die slowly. The problem is that we pretend it doesn't exist. We said this last week. And this is what Jesus says in verses 2 and 3. Everything you've tried to hide will eventually come to light. This is a sobering couple of verses, 12, chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, right? We see it all the time in our digital age, in the world in which we live. Something posted on Facebook 10 years ago, it did exist or sent in an email 20 years ago, which, by the way, also did exist, will eventually be found by someone else and put on display. Like, why do politicians, when they run for office, like, wipe their Twitter feeds? Duh. Right? Because someone is going to find something that they said, and they thought it was innocuous, or they had three followers and nobody cares, that will eventually come to light. And if not in this life... The biblical reality is that every word spoken, every Snapchat sent, everything we've said and done will be exposed on the last day as we stand before God. And Jesus is saying, don't fool yourselves into thinking that you can hide. Can you hide from the one who sees all and knows all and stands outside of time? That's one part of it. But more than just the warning about thinking we can hide, I'm more interested in the reason why we try. Like, it's one thing to be like, well, that's dumb. Of course I can't hide. So what's motivating my heart or your heart to want to attempt to hide? That's, I think, more of the, the reason. And I think, at least in part, the reason that we try to hide and we end up in hypocrisy is because we are afraid. We're afraid. We live in fear of what other people might think or or say or do, and so we cover up our sins so as to not be exposed to others. That's what I think is being exposed in the heart of hypocrisy. When we find ourselves there, I think what's being exposed more often than not is fear. And Jesus says, beware, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus compares hypocrisy of the Pharisees to leaven, the yeast that makes the dough rise. Most of you know how bread works post-COVID lockdowns, don't you? Because you all attempted to make bread. You chuckle, but it's true. And good for you. I'm glad. There's some expert bread makers here in our church community, and I'm not going to call them out here because they would hate that, but if you really are interested in learning how to make bread, I can personally connect you with them who are really good at it. What's the principle here? A, just a little bit of yeast mixed in with the flour and the water will spread and make that whole lump of dough rise. Just a little. Hypocrisy, Jesus says, like yeast that once it's added, once it, it starts to bloom in our hearts, it spreads. That's the, the caution, the danger. Beware, he says. You can't unyeast the dough. Once it's begun to rise. That's why Jesus says, beware. Because hypocrisy in our hearts starts to spread to everything else. He's offering a caution for your own good. There's danger here. So if we're going to answer the question, who or what do I fear, or the follow-up, how do I know if I'm actually being driven by fear, maybe the fear of man or the fear of God, we ask this question. So here's the question of application I came up with. When I'm confronted by my own sin and shortcomings, do I tend towards covering or confessing my sin? What's my natural bent? Am I quick to confess or am I quick to cover? Hypocrisy, Jesus says, covers because we're afraid of what someone else might think or say. Humility, the opposite, confesses because we already know that nothing is hidden from God. He already sees me for who I truly am. And so if my sin gets exposed, it's not that God didn't know that. And if God already sees it, then what does it matter if someone else sees it? I can confess it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of my favorite Baptists, is quoted as saying this, Brother, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. (laughs) I I love that. I think I've quoted that before. If If anyone thinks ill of you, well, don't get angry. You're probably worse. Right? There's a longer quote there, and it's really good. I'll post it in the weekly update. He goes on, and it's even better. But that's the idea. If we're driven by a fear of what other per- someone else, another, another person might think of us, fear of man, our temptation will be to cover ourselves, which is hypocrisy. But, and this is what Jesus is hinting at, but if we're driven by a fear of God, we respond humbly because then we're moved to confession rather than covering up. We'll, we'll get there. Here's the thing. This doesn't just stay in our hearts. It'll eventually spill out into our lives, right? We, we can't just keep it all internal. It will affect every other part, which is why Jesus says, beware. The inside of a person and the outside of a person, right? Which leads to our second point, which is the last part of our text, starting in verse 8. This is what's spilling out of the mouth. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12... Verse 34, that from the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here's Jesus giving us an example of that. What's happening in here will eventually come out here. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Jesus is looking forward to a point in history of the judgment, right? Standing before Almighty God, giving an account where all creation, including the angels, will be standing at attention and watch as God sorts <laughs> those who belong to Him and from those who do not. And Jesus here is saying, part of the reason misplaced fear is dangerous is that it doesn't only breed hypocrisy in your hearts, But the outward expression, the natural flow of that ends up in denial, denial of God. Denial here leads to destruction later. And so here's the idea Jesus is giving them. As you choose your side here, when you get to that day of reckoning, when Christ returns in glory and we stand before him, Jesus will validate or confirm the side we've chosen. Let me say it differently. Every Christian must confess Christ in some way in this life. That's what he's pointing at. It doesn't need to be with trumpets. You don't have to get on a soapbox in the middle of Main Avenue here and give your testimony through a bullhorn. It's not what I'm saying. But as Romans 10 says, you confess from your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Right? Confess and believe. So it doesn't have to be, like I said, on a bullhorn in the middle of Main Avenue, but there will be opportunities in this life to either confess Christ or to shrink back and deny Him. Uh, Pastor and theologian J.C. Ryle says this, and I thought it was so good. The difficulty of confessing Christ is undoubtedly very great. It never was easy at any period. It never will be easy as long as the world stands. It is sure to, excuse me, Entail on us laughter, ridicule, contempt, mockery, enmity, and persecution. All but guaranteed, he says. The wicked dislike to see anyone better than themselves, and the world which hated Christ will always hate true Christians. But whether we like it or not, whether it's hard or easy, our course is perfectly clear. In one way or another, Christ must be confessed. Jesus says it in verse 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, maybe you've heard this verse before, you've read it, and you're like, what does this mean? I'm going to attempt to make it hopefully somewhat understandable and plain. Now, historically, there have been disagreements over what exactly this unforgivable sin is. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Some scholars have tried to equate it with any number of known sins, But as we take God's word as a whole, the whole counsel of God's word, we know that everything from murder to adultery and any number of sins are all forgivable, right? We see through all the scriptures men and women doing evil things. David was king of Israel, committed adultery, lied, had someone killed, and when confronted with his sin, he confessed and God showed mercy. That's the hope of the gospel, right? That the very worst of our sin, no matter, no matter what it is, is no match for the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That if we confess our sins, as 1 John tells us, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, capital A, all unrighteousness. And as Romans 8 tells us, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We fully believe that. And so it can't be one of those sins that's ultimately unforgivable. Otherwise, like what are we doing here? We're all out. <laughs> that can't be it. So what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Now, we don't use the word blasphemy much. It doesn't kind of fit into our modern 21st century American uh, vernacular, but on its face to blaspheme is to speak against someone in such a way so as to injure their reputation. It's a defaming thing to speak ill and wrongly of someone in order to diminish or defame, maybe put it this way, to de them. Jesus is saying, you can speak ill of me, right? There can still be forgiveness, I find it fascinating that on the cross, when Jesus is being wrongly accused and wrongly crucified, cries out from his own lips, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You can defame Jesus, and there still can be forgiveness of that. In fact, we just read a couple of verses ago that there were people accusing Jesus of using demonic power to cast out demons. That gets real close to blasphemy, right? Jesus gives him that warning. But he is saying this, that there will come a time when your rejection of me, your rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit becomes permanent because you're going to get everything you want. J.C. Ryle continues. Let me read this. He says, the man who sins will not be forgiven is precisely the man who will never seek to have them forgiven. This is exactly the root of his dreadful disease. He might be pardoned, but he will not seek to be pardoned. He is gospel-hardened and twice dead. His conscience is seared with a hot iron. It's Romans 1 language where Paul writes that although they knew God, they did not honor God, honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Jesus is pushing on this idea like you don't actually fear the Creator, you fear creation. So rather than bowing down before God, we bow down before the opinions of men. And because we fear man, from our lips come blasphemy rather than boldness, which is what would come if we actually feared who God was and what He said. So the question I ask, how do I know if I'm being driven by the fear of man or the fear of God? Ask yourselves this question. How do I respond when I'm pressed about what I believe about Jesus? Not just what's happening in here, what's coming out here? Or when I'm asked, what does it mean to be saved? Or when I'm asked my opinion on the truthfulness of the Bible? Or when I'm feeling pressure because the opinions of the prevailing culture are not compatible with the truth revealed in God's Word? Do I tend to drift towards, well, God might be wrong on this, or the Bible might be a little outdated on that topic, or do I respond humbly saying, this revealed Word of God actually instructs me and I sit under it. So we can say and confess, no, I'm... I'm captive to this and what it says, and I fear God's opinion in here more than man's opinion out here. Jesus adds one more thing in verse 11 and 12. He says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He's not saying don't care. He's not saying don't be ready to give a defense for the faith that you have. But he's saying, don't be anxious. Don't fear. If you indeed have the Holy Spirit, which as we read in chapter 11, the Holy Spirit is the good gift of the Father that he gives to all of his children. If indeed you have the Holy Spirit, then you will be able to answer in the power of the Spirit. And what's more, you will answer with your lips what is most consistently true of your heart which is where we get to the third and final part of our message, verses 4 through 7. Sometimes when we talk about fear in relationship to God, it makes us a little uneasy. We hear the word fear, and we think of living underneath a, a tyrant. Fear of stepping out of line would only get us punished. And, and there's some people who reject God based on this misunderstanding of who God is. A misunderstanding of the fear of God. But fear is not only about punishment. There is a right kind of fear. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Now Jesus is saying what, exactly what you think he is saying. The worst another human can do to you is kill you. And after that, what else can they do? But God not only has the power over life and death, but also holds your eternity in his hands as well. So if given the option to only fear one, which one do you choose? That's what he's pressing on. To put it plainly, we fear world wars because we could die. We fear global pandemics because we could die. We fear walking down a a dark street or a dark alley in the wrong part of town at night. Why? Because our life could be at risk. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that none of that matters, so therefore, be reckless. I'm not saying that. I still wear a seatbelt. I wear a helmet when I'm on my motorcycle. I still take a multivitamin. I'm not saying be reckless What I am saying is that the worst that could happen to me, the worst that could happen is that I will die, which compared to eternity isn't really that big of a deal because I'm not that important. The worst that could happen, I mean, let alone getting your name thrown up on Facebook for believing the Bible, right? How much weight, here's the question, how much weight do we give to preserving our lives now? And how much little, how little do we legitimately fear God who not only holds our lives in His hands but also our eternity? By the way, these questions that I'm asking you, I've been just wrestling over this week myself. I'm not like presenting these from some kind of tower or in, in a vacuum. How much weight do I give to preserving my own life, my own reputation amongst the world? Now you might push back a little that maybe I'm overplaying the idea that we should fear God. I mean, we're allowed to call him Father after all. Right? We come to him with boldness. And yet and as Christians, yes, we come before God with confidence like a child comes before their father. But here's the caution Jesus is pressing on here. God isn't merely our buddy. He's still the Lord God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth who sits enthroned in the heavens. Jesus says, don't fear man who can only kill you. So what? Rather, fear the one who has authority over your eternity. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And lest you hear this and think, well, gee, you're painting God as a, as a tyrant. Listen to what Jesus says next in verse 6. That doesn't stand on its own. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Now, I don't know about you and the market for sparrows, but, but Matthew, in chapter 10 of Matthew, uh, Matthew writes that two sparrows are sold for one penny. So if it's two sparrows for one penny and five sparrows for two, we're getting a, a deal here. We're getting a bonus sparrow. And that might seem insignificant to you, but here's the reality. Is not one of them, or excuse me, not one of them Not even the bonus free sparrow is forgotten before God. Not even the buy one, get one free sparrow is forgotten before God. How much more does your heavenly Father care about you? God who is holy, who is altogether other, if he doesn't neglect or forget even the bonus bird, he will never lose sight of you the hairs of your head, Jesus continues, are numbered by God. You have no idea the depth of His knowledge of you. Hear me very clearly. Christians don't cower in fear before God, but we do willingly bow our faces to the ground because we recognize that our Lord is holy. Because of Jesus' death, and his resurrection, we are united to him. So our holy God now judges us not on our own works and merits, but on the merits and worth of Jesus. And so we fall down and we honor and fear a holy God and we rest in his holy love, which drives away all of our fears because we belong to him. So essentially, verses four through seven say, Fear him and fear not. At the same time, because you are of more value than a great number of sparrows. See, this is a proper fear, a right and good fear that drives away all other fears. Again, Charles Spurgeon says, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears before it. I love that. So as the Holy Spirit brings conviction to us, Even today, as we come to the communion table in a moment, let's respond today not by covering, but confessing. Not hiding, but humbling ourselves because we believe that we can actually be forgiven. We can actually be forgiven because of Christ Jesus, and in a world that is constantly being fed a diet of outrage and information overload in an attempt to continue to stoke fear and anxiety in our hearts so that our enemy can just continue to manipulate us, that he will work to diminish the glory of God, to elevate the glory of man and the glory of self, let's let the Holy Spirit here call us to boldness and courage over blasphemy and cowardice. This is why we continue to celebrate baptisms and multiply community groups and why we're working towards raising up leaders and planting more churches because there is a better way of living under the fear of God rather than under the tyranny of the fear of man. And we want to make that message known wherever God places us, here in our own city and around the the region and around the globe. We want that message to continue to go out. A holy fear of God is a bold contrast to how the world works. Because the worst thing that can happen to us is not being doxed or spoken ill of on social media or being called terrible things for holding to orthodox convictions on biblical truths or even being killed. So we entrust this life and the next to God who holds all of eternity in His hands. And we have confidence that the one who governs the whole universe also knows every hair on my head and has promised that in Christ I'm hidden and I'm His. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we confess, I confess as the hymn that we often sing says, "Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it." Prone to cower. Prone to cover would you be gracious today and not let us drift towards those things that we are so easily drawn to that when you holy spirit bring conviction that we would confess it freely knowing that you freely forgive that you bring comfort in places right now that are hurting and wounded in our hearts that we would find refuge in You precisely because You are holy and just. Not because You overlook our sin and our hurts, but because You deal with them. Would You encourage our hearts as we come to the communion table, seeing with clear eyes the, the beauty and the power of Jesus who died for us to make us new to clean us, to give us new life. Speak to us, encourage us as we come to the table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.